Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. We are going to be continuing our series on times. Times. This time series is, uh, been, uh, is really exciting for me because... Um, time is something so repetitive, the times that we experience, the times that we go through in life, but it's also so unique at the same time. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about how our, the times that we live in is not so magical, not so magical. And as I was preparing this message, um, the more and more I realized that it's almost like a polar opposite style of message compared to our American church culture. Uh, And I'll I'll use this scripture as an example. In Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, in the NLT edition, the New Living Translation, it says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. And the NLT translation is a great translation. I love using the NLT. It makes things really understandable. Um, When it comes to comparing different Bible translations and versions, the NLT uh, is looked at as more of, um, rather than literal translation, it tries to grasp the concept of Scripture and, and write it out. And so... Reading all I've read nearly every year. I read a different translation and version of the Bible I could tell you that you could read the NLT and still fully grasp the the heart of God the gospel message that we're all sinners in need of a savior and no way am I trying to bash the NLT but doesn't the scripture just look so pretty Promise me O women of Jerusalem not to awaken love until the time is right and the whole book of Song of Solomon is a, a love story between a woman and a man who is Solomon and just like their their love for one another the whole story and and it's it's a great amazing book anyone that uh, is wanting to spice up their their uh, biblical relationship and marriage start reading Song of Solomon to each other every night me and Lauren started doing that because some uh, <laughs> some elder at church suggested it and uh it got really uh, like crazy once it started saying, I'll, I'll climb this tree and I'll take hold of its fruit. And it's like, dang, that's like a illustration of a woman's body. <laughs> it's like, dang, this is getting graphic, like getting all hot and bothered. But this scripture right here, it sounds almost like the fairy tale style that we grew, that we grow up with like Disney and the idea of just like, life being magical does it not don't awaken love until the time is right and it's like oh like that's so true and i feel like i've even i've heard this specific scripture used in messages and i've also heard it used in counseling especially to young people to try to prevent them from having sex like it's like don't awaken love till the time is right just break up like like that's this scripture is just like, like, hold on, just what? Look, the scripture says, don't awaken love until the time is right. Well, that's, that's really, I feel like, a good grasp of how we see God and Jesus 
in the Bible in our American church world. Typically, our, our average sermon has two or three verses with Jesus tagged on the end. And then the, the entire message, the 30 to 45 minute message, has nothing to do with our relationship with Christ, but more so everything to do with how God can serve you in fulfilling your goals. Y'all dig what I'm saying? About how, it, it's just like a, the, the, you know, if you really want your heart to flutter, it's like, oh, this love story, God is so passionate about you and loves you. Look at this scripture. And it's like everything is, is almost rehearsed with an emotional tone to pull on your emotional strings. Have you noticed that? It's like clockwork. You can listen to a message and then you, you can sense the way that the preacher starts making the message sound more and more emotional. And you've been, you've been all, all on the rock bottom and you, need, you have a father wounds and God is trying to tell you something. It's like if I want people to cry, I could talk about father wounds all day. Everyone has dad wounds in some way, shape, or form. It, what I'm getting at is that we, we care so much more about the magical sense or the magical idea of God rather than the true spirituality of God. Look at what this says, the same exact verse says in a much more literal translation, which is the New American Standard Bible, NSAB, the 2020 uh, revision. Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, do not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. Every time I found this, this verse, because it says this phrase in different parts of this book, don't awaken love, don't awaken love. Every time that it shares this phrase is when they're laying down. It's actually a lot more practical. He's, it's imagine falling asleep on his arm and saying, oh, don't wake up. She's so pretty. Uh, I want her to just fall asleep because look how beautiful she is. Don't awaken her. She's so per perfect. It's just like this romantic love and infatuation for one another and saying, oh, don't move her. She's so pretty as she lays next to me. As you, you could pull and get the concept and idea of don't awaken love until the time is right. Like you could pull that and apply it in some places, but is that really a biblical principle that this is, verse is saying? No, it's actually a very simple and practical uh, part of poetry used in a song. What I'm getting at is that I really believe that the Holy Spirit is tired of us as Christians making the Bible something it's not, making our faith something that it's not. Today's message is not so magical. You're like, man, this is a crappy day to come to church. I was all encouraged and excited to be here. <laughs> not so magical. And I want us to start by talking about the magical deception. We have adopted the idea that being spiritual is being magical when it's not. I, I am all for the miraculous. I'm all for these divine coincidences. I, I believe that God is a God of power and that we live, that the, the, the times of the Bible when miracles were, were rampant, that we still have that same access of God's power today. I believe in God's sovereignty, that he can align things in such a meticulous way. 
to where it just lines up perfect and it just shows and displays God's uh, God's care and intention with our with our lives. But we have made so much of God and what is actually spiritual this magical idea rather than being truly spiritual. I notice that most people, I'm not saying all, but most people that talk about God in this magical way, it's like the magical sense of, and oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened. So I was thinking about this guy and I was like, God, if he's the one, just, just give me a sign. And I was just really upset. And when I opened my phone, his story was the first one on my feed. It was like God was telling me something, you know? It, y'all get what I'm saying? It, and that's the most rawest form of like crappy magical. <laughs> but that kind of behavior, and, and if you've ever been like around magical people like that, it's like, oh my gosh, no. Are you serious? God is so good. And it's just like this magical experience. And what I've found is that people that are so into that magical feeling, that magical chase, they are more excited about those kinds of coincidences than they are about a person getting free from drug addiction. Someone could share like, I've been, uh, I've been three months sober. And then those same people are like, oh, wow, that's great. But when it's a, a magical coincidence that has no power at all, oh my God, are you serious? Are you flipping serious? The excitement is all for the mystery, the wonder, the magical, but not at all for what is actually spiritual. And we as churches have catered so much to that magical experience to where we drive our messages and our services to cater to people's emotions rather than actually edifying their faith. And we really need to break away from this fairy tale magical idea. We chase wonder over truth. Have you noticed that? People are more interested in chasing wonder, mysterious things that almost have nothing to do with God than they do about searching for truth. I don't know how many times I've heard people talk about YouTube videos and of them uh, listening to these random strangers talking about nonsense. Uh, about like, if you look at all these numbers, it shows that, that the Bible was actually written, blah, blah, blah. It's like this like trail end of like rabbit holes and trails that go nowhere. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. But when it's like, do you actually read the Bible? Well, no, it's just really hard for me. It's like there's truth available and ready. You can even just listen to it. But we'd rather watch something that peaks and tickles our ears in wonder and mystery. We chase space over heaven. Think about that for a second. People are so much more interested in horoscopes, astrology, the things of space, rather than they are about, uh, about things of heaven, of eternity. We chase ghosts 
stars and crystals instead of mentors, prayer, and righteousness. Why is it that our ears are so easily tickled by these things? These, these magical ideas. When there's real edifying work that could be done in our lives, by the contrary. Overall, we choose things that seem magical rather than things that are truly spiritual. And I want us to understand that the persuasion and mystery of magic has always been used as a tool to distract and sidestep from God's truth. Let, let's look at magical stuff really in a biblical sense. And all the way back in Exodus, y'all remember the story of Moses when he was trying to liberate the people of uh, the Jews from Egypt, they weren't the people of Israel yet. They were still just the Jews. They became a nation, the nation of Israel, after they left Egypt. But God used Moses to deliver his people through these plagues that were, were miracles, these, um, these amazing wonders that were happening in front of the Pharaoh's eyes. And I want us to look at something in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 through 13. It says, So Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. The reason I want to pull from this scripture is to show us that even all the way in the second book of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see this idea of magic, witchcraft, which is really manipulating uh, spiritual things with uh with physical things and using the created to bypass the creator. That's what magic is. And they literally mimic an experience of God. When we allow ourselves to give in to this magical chasing feeling, I would equate this to when the emotional highs that we get from church mimic a spiritual high. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen people that have this huge emotional experience at the altar, at church, and have initial response. But because their faith never really grows, it's just based out of that emotional high, they end up stopped going to church. They never really grew to knew, know who God was. And... When we, when we chase that, just like this, Pharaoh's heart remains hard because he's looking at the magical sense instead of the God sense. We really have to, to see that this is a reality that we have to identify. Look what, this is all the way in the Old Testament. Look what uh, the way that Paul talks about this experience in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, they will act religious. He's talking about false teachers, false prophets. Hi. <laughs> uh, he's talking about um, 
He's talking about people that are leading others astray. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. So two things, those names at the end, Janus and uh, Jambres, those are the, pe- the magicians that we just read about in Exodus. Second thing I want to say is when it says uh, this, this excerpt about um, how they look for vulnerable women, he's not saying that only... That only women are deceived by false teachings. What he's saying is that these men that were trying to be leaders in the church would target, they were predators and looking for vulnerable women to, to exploit for their own personal interests. Okay? And so with all that understand, does this not just give like a sobering, a sobering message to the church today? We've been chasing this magical, mysterious, uh, false, counterfeit faith that has nothing to do with God. It's literally hard for me to listen to church messages today because they talk about nothing the whole time. I mean, have you not noticed that when you go to church and it's just like just this very progressive, like encouraging message the whole time? And it's like you don't really learn about anything it's just this whole motivational spiel to, to make you feel good. But where's your faith? It, I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is tired and sick of this counterfeit faith we've been living. And notice this the beginning text. I feel like this scripture is so powerful. It says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. I feel like that's the the epitome, the essence of what we're talking about today. We chase that magical feeling that makes us seem religious, but we reject the true power of God. We reject what is actually spiritual, and we'd rather just lay in the magical. So the, the magical deception. Let us throw off let us throw off this pursuit of worthless magic, this worthless mystery, and let us instead spend our time pursuing God and truth instead. Why waste time looking at YouTube videos that, and TikToks that talk about nothing? They're just, even when you're actually, it's like how many times have I heard someone say, oh my gosh, my faith is kind of shook right now because I looked at this TikTok video that said God's not real. And it starts talking about like how it all is actually rooted in this and that it came from a different religion. It's like, dude, you literally chase like something worthless instead of just accessing truth in your life right now. You're, you're, you're trusting a complete stranger to guide your spirit rather than just looking at it for yourself, looking at truth for yourself. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, Let's talk about planting seeds and pulling weeds. Rather than relying on luck, 
you should do what you can to be ready. I think that 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 little example I gave earlier about a relationship, so many I, I, so many Christians, that's like the main thing they're focused on is like, like when is God going to send me the right one? And everything is spiritual when it's surrounded with finding the right one. <laughs> As, no, nothing else is spiritual, only when it comes to God just sending the right person your way. God, when are you going to send them to me? Notice how that even that whole perception is like God catering to you, God serving you, that God is just your waiter. That's like, wait, just, and it's like, where is this food at? Where is this man? I've been waiting for how long? <laughs> we, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> we, we treat God, again, with the, the idea of magic and luck. And when it all lines up, God answered my prayers. Can we not just agree that sometimes timing is like, is that luck is nothing to do with a mysterious magic or even God's sovereignty, but simply it's just like practical timing. Um, I, I want to share this scripture before I go on. Ecclesiastes is really down to earth. It says there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every matter under heaven. Huh. I wonder if this is going to be talking about like a lot of really magical stuff. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What benefit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of mankind with which to occupy themselves, and he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even till the end. The, the biggest pull I want to take away from the scripture is that it talks about how there's just the right time for everything. That luck, this idea, this mysterious idea of luck that we have, luck is best seen in the right timing. Even if you're just like, let's compare it to the casino. That's a place where luck is born, right? <laughs> or unlucky, more so. But when you when someone pulls on that slot machine and it's the grand prize, is that what it's called? The grand prize? The, when it, and all the coins start pulling out, was that God's sovereignty or was it just luck? And was it luck or was it just the right time? Was it really just the right time? When it comes to uh, when it comes to this idea of timing, it's often really not that special or magical. Rather than looking for these magical moments or for the universe and stars to align, look at it more so as planting seeds and pulling weeds. Again, going back to relationships, because so many people are fixated on it. When, when we get so fixated on like God just being like the best dating app for you, and 
and just going to send the right, the right person at the right time. Why not, instead of just being infatuated with the mystery and the wonder and the, the waiting, and why not just begin working on your own self and thinking, what kind of, what kind of spouse would I want to be? How could I be ready for a spouse? And I find that often when we look at life that way, what we're waiting for comes a lot quicker than we anticipated. It, 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 I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When it came to even the thought of me becoming a pastor one day, this was like years ago. I barely, like, it was only a year after I stopped doing cocaine, okay? Like, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, God is impressed on his heart of me being a minister. And I thought, well, like, when will that happen? How's that supposed to? And I was thinking about all the, the, the wonder and mystery. And then, like, the Holy Spirit just made it simple. If you want to become a pastor, why don't you start praying like a pastor now? And I was like, that makes real, that's almost too simple. That make, that actually gives me control. I don't like that. What, the reason that we rely so much more on mystery and magic and luck is because we don't have to do anything. But if we look at it in the sense of planting seeds and pulling weeds, then it makes it so much more real because you can control what you can. And I would urge you to control what you can to be ready for the right opportunity and for the fruit to grow. Whether it's a spouse, a career, starting a business, family, etc., whatever it is, look at that whole experience as just planting seeds and pulling weeds. When you plant a seed, you have to wait, you have to water, you have to make sure it has sun, you have to spray pesticides. It, there's still work to be done. You don't just sit there and wait like, well, my job is over. No, you actually still have to work that whole time. And, and the Bible even says that we plant and harvest, but God is the one that makes it grow. And however accelerated that growth looks, that's on God. But all we can do is be ready in the meantime. You know, speaking of when it comes to harvesting and planting, did you know that people who start their own gardens, the biggest problem that they have is not the fruit never coming, but not knowing what to do with it because it's so much. More people, actually most people that start gardening, their first harvest, they end up having to throw away so much food because they didn't anticipate the growth. They didn't prepare for the growth. They didn't know how to, how to jar things, how to pickle things, and so they end up having to just throw it all away. They didn't know what they could freeze or what they could keep, or etc. so they have to throw it all away. I feel like that's a good illustration for us to see that rather than just, just hoping and praying that these things will grow, know that they will when we're doing our part, when we're watering, when we're, we're planting seeds, we're doing our part, it will grow. And that we should just more so be concerned about preparing ourselves for that harvest, whatever it is. And I, I really believe that there's a lot more within our control than we realize. A lot more. So, again, throwing off this magical mystery, this luck idea, when it comes to our lives and with God, truly, look at what you can control. And finally, spirituality is practical. 
I couldn't think of a more simple way to say that. Spirituality is practical. <laughs> it is so simple. Being spiritual is very practical and is what unlocks true miracle moments. What I have found, being in ministry for 11 years now, I've come across all kinds of people. I'm not saying I've come across all kinds of people, but a lot of different kinds of people. And the most ooey-gooey, magical-chasing, seemingly spiritual people are some of the most unspiritual people I've ever met. They, they don't do the simplest things like pray, read the Bible, even go to church. They don't fast. They, they don't do any of the things that actually grow our faith. But they seem so spiritual. They act religious, but reject the power of God. That's what that verse said earlier in 2 Timothy. Let me share the true mystery to our faith. How is it that we can see these miracles? The power of God. What's the secret? Look at this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It says to live righteous lives and be transparent with each other. Those are two things that people in church never do, right? <laughs> we as churches have not taught anybody to do that. We just give these vague ideas of repent. And we don't even know what that means. We don't even know what that means. And that's all we say, like, that if you're lucky, you'll hear that at church. But live righteous, the, the best you'll get, tithe. Trust God with the tithe, and he's going to turn your life around. Did I mention the tithe? Give offering. That's the true trust of God. Hey, don't get me wrong. Like we should. <laughs> Let me back up real quick. <laughs> we fixate on the on the the simplest, stupidest stuff that has nothing to do that, that to really edify our faith. And here, this scripture makes it so clear. Be transparent as you live out a repented lifestyle. Not meaning that you'll be perfect but that you are continually confessing your sins to each other so that you can grow better together. What you're struggling with, man, I just really am struggling with this. And talking to other people in your church family, imagine, imagine if you could just feel that freedom to trust one another to actually share your dirt and not feel afraid that you're going to get judged. But what do we do instead? Let's put on our Sunday suits, act like we're all perfect and pretty, and barely talk to one another by saying, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. And, and what is that blessing? God bless me. How are you blessing me? By saying hello to me? You're that great. And <laughs> My goodness. It, I remember the moment that I realized people had no idea who I even was after they had been calling me brother for months. Oh, brother, good to see you. God bless you, brother. One day I was like, do you even know my name? Oh, brother, I forgot. How can we keep living like this? No wonder so many people have abandoned church. It's tasteless. It's hypocritical. Not hypocritical in the sense that, oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. They, they say this, but do that. But in the sense of 
We act religious but reject the power of God. And it is time. I mean, we, we are such a young church. It, wouldn't you love to experience a true change in your life, the power of God, and be able to experience that with these people around you? Stop chasing these secrets for growing your faith rather than what is simple. I've heard it a million times, people wanting to grow their faith. I just want to grow my faith. Like, what can I do? What's the secret? What can I do? And whenever me and Lauren say praying, repenting, reading, fasting, and attending church, it just doesn't sound that magical enough for most people. And so instead they chase whatever their ears can uh, feel tickled by and end up following something totally unbiblical or even just plain out crazy. You could experience a feeling of peace that leaves you in awe. Have you ever had that experience before to where you literally feel God's presence? It doesn't matter whatever you're going through. You just have like this peace that settles on you. And it just feels like in that moment, nothing else matters. And it, you don't even have words to express. It just almost like leaves you in awe. See, that is what it is to experience God, God's power through pursuing godliness. You can have that kind of experience or you could experience someone being physically healed in front of you. And I'm talking about miracle. Have you ever experienced a blind person being prayed for and then being able to see? I mean, I remember being in Puerto Rico for a missions trip and, and those were the kinds of stories that were happening. People were actually physically getting healed. You may read scripture and be assured in a fresh revelation that the Holy Spirit ministered to you. Have you ever just read a scripture and it was like, it's almost like an epiphany, like this something brand new. And you're like, oh my God. And for a moment you realize that God knows you so much that he's with you in the room, that he's literally speaking to you as you're reading the Bible. And you're just like, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the Holy Spirit is talking to me. You could have that kind of experience. And you could also have an experience where you may even hear actual angels singing during worship or during prayer. Me and Lauren experience stuff like that. And we're not psychopaths or crazy people. And we have never talked about that experience in such a magical, mysterious way because we would be doing people unjust. It is simple. We experience mag seemingly magical things that were actually true, powerful things in the moments of simple things like prayer. These are all amazing and real experiences that people have. But whatever it is, it is only found in pursuing simple, practical, righteous, and spiritual living. We do a 21-day fast every year at the beginning of the year. And me and Lauren just have always done that. Um, when we were single, when we were married, when we were youth pastors, and now as church planters. We just start the year by saying, God, whatever this year has... We want to put you first and we put our trust in you. And we just fast for 21 days. And it was actually after a 21 day fast, the day after we did a 21 day fast back in 2016, where the Holy Spirit spoke to me about moving back to San Antonio to start this church. During a fast where you're just not eating. <laughs> That's so simple. Just not eating and praying. 
There's nothing magical about it. It was simple. And we do that every year. And every year that people participate in that fast, I'm always so blessed by the stories I hear. I've heard people talk about what they're fasting. Some people said, I'm fasting. I'm, uh, the, my fast is I'm not going to have sex for 21 days. People that aren't married. <laughs> I don't think I could ever do that kind of fast with, with Lauren in my home. But... <laughs> But, because I'm married, I, I got two rings. <laughs> Lauren got me this ring just in case some girl tried to talk to me and they don't see, <laughs> they don't see my left hand, they see this one. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that I've, I've heard so many, even just a fast like that, people saying, I'm, I'm going to not uh, indulge in this sin. I'm going to really pursue God instead. Incredible change. Some, some people talk about the, the, the food that they would give up. And when I would hear them talk about what God was doing in their lives, you would never even have thought that they hadn't eaten in seven days. I'm talking about brand new believers that chose to do just juice, only drink juice for seven days. And even for me, I was like, God damn. <laughs> I was like, God bless you. Then I would like go back and like, I'm the pastor, baby. I should do something. <laughs> I'm not even doing that. And... And I wouldn't, you would have never expected that they hadn't eaten nothing for seven days the way they talked about the glory of God in their lives that they were experiencing. The power of God that they were witnessing. Truly experiencing. And it was because they were doing something so incredibly simple. And yet we chase these myths, these bogus ideas. And it's, they're so unfulfilling, they're so worthless. And the last thing I'll say is this, when it comes to a church community, that verse in James says, confessing your sins to one another. It took me years to even find any amount of confidence to be able to share with somebody sins that I was struggling with at church. Lauren was, was my first accountability. The first time I tried sharing something with someone, they acted so weird. They were supposed to be my mentor, my leader. And they were like, uh, okay, um, let me pray for you. God, I pray that you help Homer to trust you with this instead of me. I was like, God dang, like, what the freak? <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I'm telling you, if we were to create a community where we can be transparent with each other, share with one another, do you know how much exponential growth we would have in our lives we would have lasting fruitfulness when it comes to the kingdom of god i'm talking about salvation that goes way beyond an, an emotional high I'm talking about a, a, an eternal relationship being built and edified because you have a community that surrounds you i spoke at a church and this, this is, I, I want to be serious for a moment because I feel like this is the, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I, I spoke at a church and this young man came up to me afterwards and he was like, oh man, that was great. That was exactly what I needed to hear. And, and when I preach, uh, especially to young people, I usually am very transparent. Uh, I'll, I'll share the, the, the gritty things that I've went through before Christ, after Christ. I share vulnerable things, like how I was molested when I was 14. And 
this this young man started just saying I uh, when he started telling me a lot of things you said I went through and he started telling me different things and then he says and I never told that to anybody he's been going to church for a while now he said I never told that to anybody and a little bit after that I noticed that he was kind of staying in the back while the the young people the the youth group was like playing games and stuff and I was like how come you're sitting back here talking to like old people <laughs> instead of like playing games and and he said, oh, well, I just, I just get uh, nervous. I get shy or whatever. And again, he's been going there for a while. And I said, Are you, do you have any friends here? And I just pointed at all the kids and said, do you have any friends here? And he got kind of quiet and said, well, no. I have my, my brother over there. He's my, uh, I'm adopted. He, he, that's my brother over there. And as I began to talk to him, I, I was, my heart was just breaking. Because I saw so many people, just like this young man, that go to church where community is there, but feel like they don't fit in. Feel like they can't say anything to anyone. So many of us have experienced that. And what I'm urging us to do as a church is to break that curse over churches in our generation. To break it because if it kills us on the inside it kills other people too and the only way that we can make a difference in that is by being the change that we want to see if you've ever felt like that then it should urge you and motivate you to be an accepting talkative Christian that is friendly with those that they go to church with that is willing to be transparent with their own lives if they expect anyone to trust them with transparency we have to start being the change that we want to see and what is that that I'm describing is that a magical revival that's what churches always want we need revival we need revival in a church where no one talks to each other let's start with the practical and simple crap it's simple so that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here right now and you feel like in this whole message, God is just ministering to you about throwing off this chase of seemingly magical things and pursuing true godliness instead. You just want to change course right now. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you. So God, right now I pray that you just edify us in our faith. Make a change right now. We repent to you as a whole. We do not want to behave that way, God. We want to pursue truth, godliness, and righteousness the way that you show us, Lord. And we know that you've simply called us not to be perfect, but to do our best and forget the rest. We know that we'll make mistakes, but we'll continue to strive to grow closer to you. Now, if you're here and you just feel like the biggest takeaway for you in this message is really beginning a walk with God, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
maybe even for the very first time. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. So with that being said, if, if you're listening to this, if you're here, that was you. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God who died on the cross for the world's sin and rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. All that is saying is that if you talk to Jesus, acknowledge the offering he gave for you, paying his life for our sins, and are authentic about it, surely you shall be saved. It's just simple, simple, simple. There's no 32 steps. It's simple. It's a heart change and a conversation with your creator. You don't need me to lead you through that prayer. You can talk to God yourself. Today is a day for you to start that walk of authenticity with God. God, I pray that you solidify everything that you're speaking here today, and I pray that you do a work in our hearts. We surrender to you right now in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. With that being said, we're going to enter a time of worship. And as we do, uh, before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you, church, uh, for being a part. We love y'all. Have a good rest of your life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.